Ayo, we are back. This podcast is taking me and I think everyone else to different places. And whether it's to different countries with different guests that we have coming up that we've had here in the United States, all over the internet, we've got some good things coming. And I'm just so happy that we have some great guests for you guys. Today's guest is Carolyn Brunson. Carolyn has an amazing story, and I think she's starting a wave of things that, well, I think a wave of people reaching out wanting to tell their stories, really amazing human stories of tragedy and coming back from that tragedy. Carolyn's been basically dead almost and come back. I think you're going to find it really powerful, her story. Before we jump into it, I just want to say, if you like this podcast, you enjoy listening, please go to uh, Apple uh, iTunes, where the podcast is, uh, the links for it, and give it a rating, a brief rating, whether it's good or bad. I just love to hear what's going on, what you guys think, and subscribe. Uh, We are posting now Mondays and Thursdays, and I hope you enjoy the content that's coming out. So without further ado... Uh, We're going to jump into the conversation with Carolyn Brunson. Okay, excellent. I heard a little crackling on the other side. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. You know, the magic of editing is great because I just get rid of that first 30 seconds where there was nothing happening. (laughs) Right, which which makes me feel so much better as we move through this too. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Well, thanks for agreeing to be on and to chat with me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, I'm really, really glad I connected with you. Um, you, You've been doing so much great connecting work and your messages are always so positive. So um, I'm I'm glad I'm starting to spread my message with you. Wow. So what made you want to, you know, start spreading the message with me? Like, how how did you come about? You know, I think it's a good story because, you know, networking is a big part of what I do. And I think that's why it's called the social network. It's all the people I connect with. So what was it about that? What did you see that made you want to contact me? There's something very heartfelt about your communication style and the messages that you send out on LinkedIn that I think is very important and relevant. Um, I see a lot of things come through and a lot of people write different articles and kind of shout out and, and it's, it feels very, sometimes it feels a little, um, you know, not very personal. And Mm -hmm. I think that part of connection is getting to know people and throwing more into the personal, I should say, or getting a little bit more personal in terms of really what's going on, what's going on at work, what's going on in your personal life. Um, cause there it's all aspects of the human experience and, when I, when I read your articles and saw your messages, it's, it's, I got a really strong vibe from you that you are out to genuinely connect people and to genuinely talk about health and wellness. And you have encouraged and said a, a lot of positive things about several different people in the industry on LinkedIn. And I really, I really like that. And I gravitated to that. And I typically gravitate to individuals who are spreading a positive message and who do approach life in a way that's healthy um, from an emotional standpoint. And that is why I chose to connect with you. I had this feeling like, you know, 
I feel like I, it's time to reach out and, and to connect with people. I've, I've been telling my story to my friends and to, um, you know, people that I meet here and there, but, uh, it was, it's kind of finally, I'm finally there to where I, I want to speak about it. And, um, like I'd mentioned to you before, if I can help anyone or it can save a life down the road, then it's, it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, this, this podcast is also about stories. I think storytelling is a big part of our history as human beings. And everybody has a story. It's worthy of being told. And, you know, some people's story is, can be very tragic and some can be very triumphant. And either way, it's still worthy of being told. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, I remember when you reached out to me on LinkedIn. And I always think when somebody reaches out to me, I got to get back to them as soon as I can. Yes. Because... Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, I, I'm i not going to name names and stuff because I'm not, I don't try to be mean and stuff. It's just that I have seen many people on LinkedIn who espouse a lot of very positive things and stuff. And, you know, they have a lot of people commenting on things. But when you contact them, actually, message, they never get back to you. Right. Now, I've experienced that so many times. And I'm like, this doesn't match what's being said. And yes. the thing, you know, like yes. if you contact me, and I'm saying all this positive stuff, and then I never get back to you, it really doesn't matter how positive I am if I can't do well at the basic stuff, which is getting back to people and being present with them. Yes, and I I completely agree and and have had similar experiences. And I know everyone has a lot going on, um, but I also make uh, an effort to reach out, reach back out to people who reach out to me. Um, even if I don't know them from anywhere, I, you know, I had a gentleman reach out to me and said he was moving to Los Angeles and was looking for a job. And, you know, I, I reached out to him, took, it took me a little bit, but I made sure to reach out to him to talk with him. Cause it's obviously he's reaching yeah. out to me and has taken the time, uh, to reach out to me. And, um, it's important and it's, it's really important to connect, like you said, and, um, which I know is, is a lot of the importance of your messages is it's again, the, the actual human connection of talking with people and getting back to them in, in a timely manner and uh, realizing that we're all in this together and we all need help. And we're all trying to spread our messages and have our jobs to do. Um, but if we're not connecting, then we, we kind of lose sight of what's really important. I think. Oh, I think, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think just to add on to that is, I think we're just in a culture where there's too much of this ghosting going on or it's too mm-hmm. easy to think, well, well, this person's just trying to sell me some product or whatever, so I'm just going to ignore them. I want to tell everybody out there, I've been on LinkedIn for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I probably get inundated with more product-based stuff than anybody on there, literally. I mean, unless you've spent this much time as I have on there and built yeah. many connections, I'm constantly getting inundated with Look at this video. Try this out. I think it's gotten less because I put out there that I'm not into that. But Mm -hmm. I I still get back to people no matter what, even if it's the most ridiculous thing. (laughs) I will get back to them immediately. And I say, I am not interested in that. Um, But thanks for connecting with me. And I prefer to just get to know who you are and not your product and stuff. And I think it doesn't even if you're not interested, it's bad manners to not get back to people and to say like, you know, people, everybody's busy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but that excuse has to be done at some point. You have the power yeah. of this phone in your hand. You have all types of ability. This isn't 1987. 
Right. You know, this this isn't like I need to go and find a quarter to put into a payphone. I remember that. I mean, I that mm-hmm. I remember having to do that, counting quarters. I get not getting back then. Right. There's no excuse now. I don't care if you're the CEO of Amazon. I yeah. literally don't care. Like there's there you are not consumed every second of your day. It's just what is what is a priority for you is what I believe is what's happening yes. for people. Yes. Um so I think it's just good manners and uh, you never know who you run into. You know, when you answer somebody's message, you just never know how that's going to affect your life. You just don't know. I completely agree. And, and it's, it's, you, you actually brought up a really good point too, of, you know, the advertising, the things that, that are sent your way and you kind of do that. Oh, somebody's trying to sell me something. Do I really want to respond to this? Um, and that's, that's a really valid point. It's still some, someone taking the time to reach out to yeah. you and you can respectfully say, thanks, but no thanks. I've had a few then, people who have who've done that yeah. to me and I've turned them over they, and then we ended up having a great conversation yeah. and, and they go, you know what? Thanks for showing me that I need to take the human approach versus just this super cold call approach. I'm not saying that cold calling shouldn't be done. I mean, and there's many businesses where you got to make a living and that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And to some extent in my spa fitness and consulting business and management, we have to do a little bit of that, but you could still be human while doing it and you can still yeah. give people the benefit of a uh, email text message of I'm not interested. Thank you for your time. Right. Just right. don't ghost people. That's, that's just a weird thing that's been happening. Yes. And it's, it's personal. It's in the workforce. It's, I, I'm not sure, <laughs> yes, it you is. know, <laughs> it's, uh. it is. And it, it, it does drive me crazy as well. Uh, you know, and I know, and I know it's sometimes it takes time to get back with people. And of course it does. I I try to even say, you know, Hey, I got your message. I'll connect with you next week or, you know, give me a few days or, Hey, you know what? I've got something happening here. I'm not ignoring you. Uh, Yeah. You know, and, and even just with, you know, your friends and your family. And when there's a million things going on and you've got things back to back, it's always good to, you know, communicate that like, Hey, it's a really crazy time. I'm not ignoring you. I'll get back to you on Friday. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. I was actually talking to my wife about this and because she will self-admit that she's not the best and, you know, she'll forget a lot of stuff with getting back to people and certain tasks. And I said, you know, she goes, well, what do you do? What is your thing? I said, I don't have a great memory. It's not like I'm remembering all these people and like, oh, I'm going to get back to Carolyn or something. You know, it's like, it's a lack of a system is what Mm -hmm. people say for me. Like, let's say, you contacted me and it's like, I didn't have the time to really, so we could chat. I would, I write a note on my email because I'm on there pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Hey, get back to Carolyn. And it's staring yep. at me in the face regularly, just a reminder. Like mm-hmm. I need to do this. But if you entrust your memory to getting back to several people, you will not do well with that. Yeah. You will yep. lose that battle. You Something else will enter your brain and it'll take up that space you, there's, you need to have a system in order to get back to people properly. Because if you're not, you're just letting down people regularly. And I don't want to be that type of person. I want to make sure I respect the fact that they got, got out, to, they reached out to me, even if it's not something I'm interested on. And I want to still be respectful. Right. And that's, that's, I've started actually doing that too, is, is marking things out on my, on my calendar, on my phone. Even yeah. call so-and-so, get back with so-and-so, you know, just yeah. so I, rem- I remind myself and then I go, okay, tomorrow's, tomorrow's Wednesday. And at the top of it says, you know, 
call Catherine or whoever it is, you know, uh, and, and that's, you're right. It's a system and it's, and it's, it is tough when we're inundated with so many things and it's easy to forget. I do it too. And I go, Oh my God, I forgot to get back with so-and-so. Yeah. Um, don't answer that text either. That when that thing yeah. comes up, if you know, you can't answer it back, just don't answer it. Just let it stay green or whatever. Yeah. And then you get back to it later. But the problem yeah. is like if people look at their texts or things like that while they're doing other things, you're going to forget to get back to that person. Yeah. Yeah. It's basic stuff. If you, I was telling uh, my, uh, a previous uh, podcast guest, Michelle Collins, she's, she's wonderful. I'm not sure if I introduced you guys, but you guys should definitely talk. We did. Uh, we haven't, we haven't gotten a chance to speak yet, but you did send in like an, an invitation. Right. Uh, and yes, yes. She's great. Like you'll love talking to her. And mm-hmm, we just had mm-hmm. a really, you know, we have kind of like offline conversations quite a bit. And I was saying, you know, sometimes people can feel so evolved, so kind of enlightened. But if they're bad at the basic stuff, you yeah. it, it destroys their credibility of their enlightenment or their intelligence. And I think sometimes we, we lose that. We Oh, this person, they're so positive, so amazing. They're doing all these things. They're always late. They never get back to you. Or they don't say thank you. To me, those things destroy your other higher level arguments. Mm, and so mm-hmm. I said, you know, you could still be very enlightened to a lot of people, but be struggling at the basics of life. Yes. And yes. don't put one before the other. Don't make yourself some guru or some amazing person, but you're terrible at getting back to people or you're pretty bad at being nice to people, generally speaking. There's, I feel like there's quite a bit of that, uh, those things, which is actually one of my secrets to networking. This is a big mm-hmm. thing that I do is I generally avoid tagging people or reaching out to people who have like a huge following because mm, okay. they don't get back to you. They're pretty bad about it. Yeah. But I love tagging people, not tagging, but putting out a you know, connection request to people who have like 100 connections, 50 connections. For some reason... Those people get back very quickly. And right. maybe maybe because they're not inundated with so much going that on. That could be. And, and you get, I, I can imagine, you know, with having, you know, thousands upon thousands of contacts of just being almost stuck in the inertia of it all. Yes. Of, of how then, oh, I mean, who knows? Are, are, the, are the people getting, you know, 500 questions? And so now they have to figure out, well, how am I going to get back to all these people? <laughs> right. I mean, how does that work? Uh, and, and yeah, and there definitely is something to that. And it's, it's interesting to being, being out here in LA, uh, it's really hard to connect with people unless you are connected through someone else that they know. Explain that a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's the kind of all in who, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of working, I should say. And, and I'm not sure if it's because LA is such a big market and again, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, tons of things going on. You're, you're navigating not only uh, the workspace, but traffic and uh, behaviors from, you know, the public. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's been a challenge to, I've reached out to people. I reached out to recruiters. I reached out to people, even from who went to my own college who live in California, who, who haven't reached out. And I went to a small college Right. And so, you know, I, I went to Valparaiso University. It's a small school in Northwest Indiana. So when you meet people, you're like, oh, you know, I always am like alumni. Yeah. And, and it's surprising to me that even, 
you know, if I'm interested in your company and I'm reaching out to you and we even have that in common that there's no response back, you know, to actually carefully write an email and to say, Hey, you know, I noticed you're an alum. Yeah. I'm curious to know more about your company. You know, let's, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a tough one. And, and, you know, you may be onto something versus, uh, you know, being from Bellingham, Washington is a smaller community. So maybe there's that less stress, there's less people, people have a tendency to connect in a way that is more genuine and they, they'll take the time to reach back out to you. Well, I'll tell you one thing. This is another thing I have found kind of just general observational research I've had with networking is I've had quite a few international guests on podcasts uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have noticed that a lot of my international connections, they're very good about getting back to me. Hmm. I'm, okay. You know, we have a huge time zone difference, you know, yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I just had uh, Claire Jiang on the podcast yesterday, and she's a fascial stretch therapist in South Korea in Seoul. Mm-hmm. So we're talking from, you know, she's in Seoul, and I'm here in Blaine, Washington, which you're familiar with. Yes. And <laughs> it's so funny. And it's just like her communication leading up to scheduling the podcast, everything after that, was so professional, was so timely, even though our time zones were so far apart from each other. I mean, we're doing the podcast. It's Tuesday, her time, and Monday, my time, you know? Yeah. So we're literally day a day apart. And just the level of communication, I thought was really fascinating. And I think sometimes when you put a large divide between people, Sometimes it makes them more responsive because they're like, listen, I only have a certain window to really get to this person because they're asleep when I'm awake type of thing, <laughs> right. you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes when you're real close to somebody, you know, and the time zones are the same, you're like, well, whatever, you know, I'll get to it. Yeah, I'll get to it because there's plenty of time in the day and then get to it comes, then comes the forgetting and then not making a note of it. And then you're off and running. And then two months from now you go, oh, Yeah. That one guy I was supposed to connect with. It's kind of like a menu. You ever go to a restaurant and there's like pages and pages and pages of of items? Yes. And you get overwhelmed. (laughs) You're like, I'm just going to have the thing I like, whatever I've been having. It's like the Cheesecake Factory. Yes. (laughs) Cheesecake Factory. The menu goes on forever. I think it's like a novel or something. It's just Uh like... And I don't, I don't get the popularity because it's... when We know that people get overwhelmed when you give them too many choices. So... I, I, I like eating at like in and out Burger when I was in Las Vegas because there's like four things on the menu. <laughs> right. You know what you're getting. Then there's like a secret menu, which is, which is killer because then it, it yep. pulls on people's sense of like, ooh, what is that? Yep. Like, oh, I want the animal style. The animal I, style. I, the animal I know style. style, animal style. Yeah. Yeah. In and out Burger, you most likely know what that means. Listen, if you're on the East Coast, yeah. you probably know, no, have no idea. What we're talking about. But if you're on the West Coast, generally, in and out Burger, they need one badly in Washington. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely, uh, I don't, I'm not sure why that is, but uh, it's, it's like a it's West Coast a, thing. It's why? a West Coast thing. Yeah. Especially in Southern California, like you said, Nevada. Do they have it in uh, Oregon? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if they have one in Oregon or not. Oh my gosh. In and out would be perfect in Blaine. I'm telling you. It would be yeah. incredible. I mean yeah. <laughs> it would be awesome. It it'll be the one stop before you head right over to the border. Can you imagine? Into Canada. People and you know the border traffic gets so thick through there too. Seriously. You get the yeah. border munchies. Maybe on the I'm telling you. Yeah. Can you request mm-hmm. an in and out in your town? Is there <laughs> 
Somebody, somebody, if anybody here is affiliated with In-N-Out Burger, I need to know how to get an In-N-Out Burger in a town of 5,000 people on a border in a beautiful location. Come yeah. on. And then you're going to have people from Bellingham and people from the county and everyone right. going in and out Burger once they figure it out, once they know what it's about. I'm all about it, about double-double, onions, that's my, and vanilla milkshake. That's, I'm oh. all about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, it's been years. Years. Oh. Yeah, years. I haven't had in that burger in years, but I do remember. I was going I like once a week when I was in Vegas. No lie. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. hitting that thing hard. <laughs> it's so cheap, too. It's like, yeah. And great customer service. Great customer service. At least the ones that I went to, the food comes out fast. It's a whole situation. Anyways, um, but uh, I could go on a long time about all this stuff, but I want to make sure you get your story out because you have a fascinating story and I'm going to, I'm going to hack up this uh, syndrome that you've had. I was trying yeah. to talk to my wife about it. She's like, yeah. Oh, I know all about this. I'm like, how do you know about this? Really? Yeah. It's amazing to me who knows and who doesn't know. It's either you have no idea or I'll meet somebody who's like, oh, I know exactly what that is. And you're like, Oh, really? Because it's so rare. And yeah. to even describe it and what happens through that process is it's it's so hard to even kind of communicate what that I mean obviously you unless you experience it you don't know what it really what it really looks like and how devastating it is well let's jump into it tell yeah. me a little bit about because I'm sure as people so were listening to it they'll be like yep. what are they talking about <laughs> yes yes so uh in late 2017, actually the, the end of August. So we're coming, we're coming up, coming up here right over two years. Um, I was diagnosed with a rare, uh, condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome. So it's like two French guys. Cause people yeah. are always like you Gillian Barr. Well, yeah. How do you say that? So if it's, you know, when you, when you look at it, that's, that's why it's pronounced that way. It's, uh, French. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, what happened with me is just, just well, I'll kind of back up a little bit. Beyond Beret is um, a, an illness, a syndrome, a condition whereby your body's own Im immune system attacks the peripheral nervous system. So, and it, it, can, uh, it can appear and look similar in some conditions and also look very different with, it just depends on the person. Everybody's experience with it is a little bit different, um, but uh, so it's, it works kind of in a, in a mysterious way in that your body just, for whatever reason, attacks and mistakenly attacks the immune system or the, the peripheral nervous system rather. Um, and what had happened with me is about five days before I was diagnosed, I had a really bad upper respiratory infection. And with Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, so a lot of times, I'll say many times, uh, it's usually preceded by some sort of illness, Res upper respiratory infection, uh, stomach flu, the regular flu. However, um, that's not always the case because uh, there have been uh, women who have just given birth who've gotten it right after birth or during pregnancy, uh, people who have gotten it after surgeries. Uh, and people who've just had this mysterious onset of symptoms. Uh, there is no cause 
for this as of yet. I know research researchers are really kind of trying to dig in and figure out what's what's causing this. What why what's causing the body to mistakenly attack the nerves instead of you know it's it's essentially not doing its job. It's attacking right. the wrong thing. It's in you know in theory. I know that there's a lot of mystery around this and as as we kind of begin to learn more and more about this, it'll be interesting to see what emerges as as you know researchers kind of step in and take a closer look at you know what's really causing this and why are people getting this. Um, so going back to the story as to I had a really bad upper respiratory infection and um, I was in bed one night and I noticed that my hands and feet got really really tingly. Uh, and so it started in my hands and feet and with Guillain-Barre, it's pretty calming. It's common. It's like ascending paralysis. So Mm -hmm. it starts outward and moves up and in. And I had no idea what was going on. This affects one in maybe 100,000 people. I mean, I'm in the rare category. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm coming off this really bad upper respiratory infection. I'm probably, my body's just reacting to the stress and to the others, you know, illness I have. And, um, and then from that point on, uh, I remember getting up, it, it happened very quickly and I started to lose my balance. And I remember looking, getting up and looking in the mirror and it was like, my eyes weren't focusing. Uh, and I'm like, what is happening? Something is not right. And as the evening progressed, I became to, I just got worse, um, to the point where it felt like I was, I guess the best way to describe it is if you were to put a hundred pound weights on each leg and try to walk and, and you're in a, a ton of amount of pain and you're not really sure what's happening. Like everything is slowly starting to kind of shut down. I should say actually quickly starting to yeah. shut down. Uh, and so I was having trouble, uh, mobility issues. I was trying to pick up my legs to move and they were not really working that well. Um, I managed to, uh, make it to the bathroom barely. Uh, but it was a quick, you know, that started to happen. Um, and, and then from that point on, I started to have uh, rapid breathing and this is, there's an important story here that kind of comes along with you know, rapid breathing. And I, I realizing at, at the time, I didn't realize what was happening, but uh, I was having trouble breathing, essentially. Um, and so my, at the time, I was living with my best friend and her family and her mom. So my best friend and her mom were the ones who were there to really kind of figure this out and help me and take me to the ER and all that. Well, they started with taking me to urgent care. My best friend took me to urgent care. And, and the doctor said, um, oh, you're, you're just having a a panic attack. This is anxiety. Hmm. And he said, and you're dehydrated and you have a sinus infection. Meanwhile, I'm having trouble moving. I'm, I'm, you know, my breathing's erratic. Uh, I I'm having extreme pain in my arms and legs. Uh, it's the strangest thing. And, And then my vision started to go. And then, you know, at one point or several points, my my friends, my best friend and her mom were like looking at me like, oh my God, her eyes are rolling around in her head. I mean, my eyes started to go, everything just started shutting down. So this, so he sends me home and I, um, they're like, okay, well, uh, I guess we'll just keep an eye on you. And they, my friends, they have me on, you know, just ibuprofen and Tylenol. 
Um, at this point, I'm in so much pain. I, I'm like literally laying on the couch because I didn't want to go to my room because I thought I cannot be in a room by myself. I have to be somewhere where at least they, they can get to me. It was just all of a sudden you kind of go into this, this mode of like, what is happening to me? Um, yeah. and, and then I remember a friend texting me that night and I, I tried to reach over and my fingers started to not work. Mm. And so, and then I thought I'm in real trouble here. I'm laying on the couch. Everybody goes to bed. I even try to call out and I can't get the words out now. Oh no. I can't really, I'm exhausted. I'm in extreme pain. My head is pounding. My body's not working. I have extreme, you know, tingling and strange muscle sensations. I don't even know what is happening. And in my thought of thoughts is I, I thought, if I don't go to the ER in the morning, I'm going to die on this couch. Right. Is what I was thinking. And thankfully, uh, my best friend who happens to be an ER nurse, and the story gets more interesting, is her dad had Guillain-Barre syndrome. Whoa. And so her mom and her were able to put two and two together. And they were like, this seems like this could be it based upon her symptoms. So the next morning came and um, they basically, they take me to the ER at this point because I'm shutting down and things are just getting worse. So I sit in the ER for, in the ER for a while and the, the ER doctor comes out and says, oh, she's having a panic attack. This is what this is. And to the quick thinking of my best friend's mother, she was the one who took me in to the ER and, and waited with me and was my advocate. She said, um, you know, I, I don't, I actually think that she might have Guillain-Barre syndrome because my husband had it. And, um, the ER doctor was like, no, I, I just, I think she's having a panic attack. And she, she was smart enough to say, well, why don't you give her an Ativan, which is a drug for anxiety to right. help, and come back in 30 minutes and see if she's presenting the same symptoms. So he did. And he came back and then he, he was like, wow, at this point, you know, it's getting worse and worse. I'm starting to mumble. I'm starting to not even be able to, to even get words out. My eyes are rolling around in my head. I'm in extreme pain. I'm now, I can't even hold myself up. I'm in, sitting in a wheelchair. I can't hold myself uh. up. And she said, who's your neurologist on call? Call the neurologist now. And so he did. And that's what subsequently got got the ball rolling and the neurologist came down and they said oh yeah that this is she's presenting all the symptoms and then then they they took me in for an MRI and a spinal tap and um I that's another way that they they could determine is doing a spinal tap and looking at blood proteins and I had it I had a slightly elevated blood blood protein level it wasn't astronomical but my symptoms were so dead on with ascending paralysis tingling of the hands and feet muscle pain and weakness, loss of balance and coordination, um, you know, and it's all, and then it just all just kind of moved up. So uh, within that night, things got real, really, really serious. Um, they, that, at that point, um, they figured out that, that they called it. They basically like, yeah, we think this is what this is, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, they had uh, ordered a, a dosage of IVIG, which is, um, IVIG is uh, what you do when you have this condition. It's basically a way to put the good antibodies back in your body to help stop 
stop it from getting worse, but it doesn't work with everybody. It's what they use, but sometimes it works. Sometimes it's not just, it's individualized, but sometimes it just depends on who the person is. A lot of people have had great success with this and people haven't had the best success. So they, they administered the first round and then, then I, they looking at my oxygen levels and yep, she, she's not, she can't get the oxygen in. So then they intubate me. So they did they then, then yeah. at this point I'm I'm on life support. Uh and Jeez, man. Yeah, yeah. And so so from that point on, um, there's another therapy. There's two different therapies that you use for Guillain-Barre. The one of which is IVIG, which I call it in a nutshell. It's like you you put the good stuff back in the, the healthy antibodies back in the body. The other one is called uh plasmapheresis or plasma exchange. It's where you take the body, the blood out of your body and, and basically get the junk and the unhealthy stuff out of it, run it through a centrifuge and then it run and run it back in your body. So it's like kind of almost like kitty dialysis in a way where that's the only thing I can think of that maybe where people can kind of maybe relate to that, where you're running your blood out to kind of, uh, and to run it back in essentially take the, take the bad stuff out, run it back in. So then they started me on that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, things got wor- way worse before they got better. Uh, at, at that point, um, I'm in the hospital. I can't, I, I was at first able to communicate via a whiteboard, but I couldn't even hold a pen very well. And so they're trying to figure out, they're trying to manage pain. And with Guillain-Barre, the first couple weeks of pain, it's, it's like, you're on fire and trapped in your body. Hmm. And if anybody who's out there has ever dealt with nerve pain or nerve healing, they may have an idea of what that's like. So, cause, cause with the illness, the illness goes in and it, it attacks the peripheral nerves, um, which is the protective lining, the myelin sheath of the nerves. So it's destroying that layer essentially. So imagine being a prisoner in your body and you can't really do much um, with this extreme pain. So my, fa- my friends and family basically were like, we got to get her on a pain management system. So they worked with my medical team to, to put that in place right away. Um, so I'm trying to think, where, where was I in the story? Uh, so things got worse before they got better. Uh, from that point on, um, you know, everything just started shutting down and the way that the, my, my dad, he was from, he lives in Bellingham actually. And he drove out, he got the news and then drove the 24 hours to get down to Los mm. Angeles and was in complete, you know, shock. Of course, you know, somebody who's seemingly healthy and fit then go within 48 hours is on life support. Uh, and so they're like, okay, well, how we're going to communicate with her is that we're going to basically we point to like my best friend would point to letters to try and figure out what it is I needed. And then all I could do was like nod my head to form words. So what was going through your mind at this point? Um, at that point, uh, that's a really, really great question. A few things, uh, absolute horror and fear uh, were going through my mind. I, I remember somehow thinking, because I remember going in for the MRI, 
I had heard that it, that it wasn't a brain tumor. So somehow that gave me some sort of peace that mm-hmm. it wasn't a brain tumor. Um, you know, it's cause in your mind, in my mind of mine, I'm going like meningitis, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do that game myself, like, or could it be this or could it be that? Um, but I knew what it was and it was communicated to me before things got really, really bad. So I knew what it was because I had seen my best friend's dad go through this. Um, so absolute fear and horror because you're, you have no control over anything anymore. You're basically laying in a hospital room with tubes coming out of you and intense pain. And really what you're forced to do is really surrender, Hmm. surrender to the situation. Um, And so I, I really had to work with, you know, and with this place of this is, this is the worst thing that could ever happen is, happening now. Uh, what can I do in this moment? Well, I'm going to have to surrender and trust that my medical team and that my family, um, have got me. And so surrender and trust. And there was an, a knowing that I had through all of this too. And, you know, we, we talk about this in life and in sports and when you're hit with adversity that I was, not going to approach this as this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. I'm going to approach it as I'm going to get through this and I'm, I'm just, there's no other way around it is I'm going to make it back. Yeah. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to look at this as a learning experience and it's going to be really tough. Um, but I refuse to take the mentality that I'm going to give up because it's hard. Right. And so that was from, from day one, I had that mindset, like I'm going to get through this. There's just no other way around it. And I'm going to be functional. And despite what the research says or what, how bad it looks, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to get on my feet. This is, this just, there was just no doubt in my mind that, um, that, the, the mindset, yeah. the perseverance, all of those things that we kind of touch on in health and wellness, but that are so critical. You know, when you look at our culture and how, where we've come, you know, it's like eat right, exercise, eat right, exercise. But I think that where we need to pay more attention to, and I've started to see it happen over the last couple of years is to mindfulness to meditation, to um, overall the the power of the mind. I I think that we overlook this. Yeah, I think also you can add in sleep to that as well. Yes, that is sleep there. You know, I think, you know, especially the 90s, early 2000s, a lot about, you know, nutrition and exercise Mm -hmm. and now, but then like now we're starting to understand that mindfulness and sleep are gigantic pillars, maybe even more important than that. Maybe the other things stand, uh, they are not underneath, but they are basically branches of these larger things of Mm -hmm. that. Maybe you look at sleep. It is crushing people. Lack of sleep Mm -hmm. It's literally crushing people's lives. But it's one of those things where like we oddly celebrate people who like don't sleep. It's so stupid. 
It's so stupid. <laughs> it's like one of the most ridiculous things ever. Well, that guy can operate. That's amazing. Look what he's been able to accomplish with no sleep. Oh, well, amazing. At the detriment to your health. I mean. Yeah. I and... sleep three hours a night. I And look what I get done. Like, I, that's, I'm not going to put you up on a pedestal for that. Yeah. That's just <laughs> foolish behavior. You know, it's right. like, especially people who are in the health and wellness space and don't sleep and they, they claim to do all these things. I'm like. You're yep. not a very good example of health and wellness. You know that, right? Like, yeah. if you got sleep issues, you need to work on them. You need to, there's a lot of things that can be done. I was never a great sleeper growing up, but I worked yeah. really hard at it. And yeah. I struggle still here and there, but I'm still work really hard to get seven to eight. I got to work really hard to get seven to eight, but I get it. I get it every yep. night. And it's a lot yep. of work. And it's just like exercise. It it's just like nutrition. You got to put the work in for it. And yeah, we're in a time where people, you know, we're trying to put together the whole picture. It's a puzzle. We're trying to put yeah. it all together. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm a firm believer in it doesn't matter how many vegetables you choose to eat. If you are stressed out, it does not going to make a darn bit of difference. I'm sorry. Totally if agree. You, if you live in, in a state of chronic stress, which I had been doing and this had uh, this experience taught me to really take a good look, good, hard look at my habits, how it was socialized, what I thought was the, the push, push, push all the time mentality of working, 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 sacrificing, sacrificing so much to the detriment of not sleeping, of being so stressed out, you know, and, and now I, I kind of question it's, it's, it, it almost felt like living this, this lie of, well, I work out. And I look great and I eat healthy, but guess what? I wasn't really focused on was that stress management piece. Why are we working so much? Like, I'm just yeah. asking that question. I want to know what you think. Why is this facade of like constant hustle, constant 24 seven? What is that about? I, I don't quite understand. I, I think that there is, it's a societal norm that if you're not pushing and you're not hustling, then that means you're lazy, mm. that you should feel guilty because you're not taking the time that you need for rest. Um, and I, and I've seen, you know, working and, and looking at, okay, well, you have this many, this many days off of work. So you're thinking, okay, well, I've got personal holidays and and I've got, you know, maybe like a week off of sick leave. So you're, you're automatically in this loop of, well, I can't, I got only the five days in the year to manage my stress, to deal with. And, you know, if I get sick or my kids or whatever it is. So again, there's that, you know, and then kind of more of the old school mindset is you, you need to take some time off. People are like, oh, why is she taking this time off? What does she need now? What, what's the problem? Well, People need self-care, especially as, you know, stress and anxiety and depression, the suicide rates, everything has gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. And what are we missing? There's this a really, there's the emotional, the mental and the self-care piece of that all of this that comes together. I mean, I, you, you and I know this, you know, wellness is, there's multifacets that are involved in wellness. And somehow we're missing the boat with that. And, and I'm thankfully, you know, we're seeing more things, more people come on board with um, this, the, the different meditation apps, the different mindfulness things. People are starting to really become more aware and conscious of 
um, what's happening in their own body and actually um, learning to listen to it. Because our bodies tell us when something's wrong, but a lot of times we're stuck in the hustle, but we don't, we don't ever listen. It's funny. I, I think sometimes health and wellness professionals are sometimes some of the worst people at listening to their bodies. Yes. Like one of the worst and in living a lifestyle that's so rigid, so strict mm-hmm. and not sustainable and not realistic. It's, it's one of the things that I, I've always said for me has made me somewhat of a, I will say weirdo in the business because you know, I've always really like, I'm not super conscious about my diet in the sense of like, this is bad or this, uh, you know, I'm not really, it's not my thing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more of like, how does this make me feel? And I don't want to indulge myself, you know, from time to time. Yeah. And I want to, I can't focus on one thing specifically like wellness for a lot of people, they don't know what it means actually. Mm-hmm. And if you look for the basic aspect of it, when I was going to school back in the nineties and early two thousands, all of my degrees and going through that, it's really, they started off with the basic wellness wheel, which was understanding your social, emotional, physical, mental, occupational, Mm -hmm. spiritual, environmental health. Can can you, can one person put together all those things and become more complete in that? And what I see is just a lot of, there's been a big focus on maybe the physical aspect on it. And we right, we've mm-hmm. turned the corner a little bit that people are thinking more about the spiritual aspect of it somewhat mm-hmm. these days and mindfulness. But I think the area that people are missing hugely, and I think I'm not sure if this will come to it. It's a, but I think the environmental element, and I think people think about it like environment and like sustainability and things of that nature. Yeah, I don't look at I think that's part of it, but I look at it as like more like uh, Sarah Diss, who was on the show, like zip code health, mm-hmm. like where you live, how that yeah. influences your health and wellness. We're seeing a huge thing. People are moving less. They're feeling stuck yeah. where they live. Maybe where they mm-hmm. live is not promoting optimum um, social and emotional health and wellness yeah. for them. I know you moved from Bellingham. You didn't like the, the rain and stuff. But I, I, but I, I will I... tell you this, though. <laughs> Maybe when now I want you to ponder this because this is something I want you to think about because I've thought about it and I think a lot of people think about it. When I grew up, I was in a military family and a good Uh portion of that was in Europe and on the East Coast of the United States. Okay. Now, when I lived on the East Coast, it was normally extremely cold in October by this time and Mm -hmm. it snowed regularly. Mm -hmm. If you look at the East Coast right now, it's hot. It's 90 degrees in a lot of places. It's 80 degrees. It's October right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And then you have this drastic swing where like in Pittsburgh, it's like 90 today and going to be like 50 in a couple right. of days. When right. I was growing up, that wasn't the case. And mm-hmm. maybe when you were growing up in Bellingham, it did rain nine months of the year. I haven't yeah. experienced that here at all. It has not huh. been anything like that. In fact, the first year I lived here, it didn't rain that much at all. I mean, it was, and if you actually look at the statistics, it rains way more in like Massachusetts than it does in Washington. It's like, 
and things are changing. I'm telling you. Yeah. And yeah. environmentally, I would agree with you there. I mean, in LA, we actually had a ton of rain. Last of course year. you did. So did Las Vegas. It had tons yeah. of rain last year. And, and it, it was I, colder. Right. And it, it just, every, it was like the weather just flipped around. It's different. I'm telling it, it's you, been, it's different. It's changing. Yeah. And Blaine, yeah. it's sunny all the time. I'm telling you, yeah. it rains here and there, but it's, it's not a lot. Like when I lived on the East coast of Midwest, and somebody talked about Washington, they'd be like, oh, it just, just rains too much there. And since being here and visiting for the past four years, living here for the past uh-huh. year and a half, I have not experienced that. I have well, not experienced that at all. Give it time. <laughs> I'm telling you, pattern, you it's changing. But no, I've been visiting every month yeah. almost for the past several years, several yeah. years. It was yeah. always nice. Every month, is, you know, there's January and February is not great here. Right. It's definitely right. not great. But like nine months out the year, raining constantly, I'm not seeing that. I definitely don't see that. Well, I, I, ha- I will give you this is that I before I left Bellingham, I did see a shift into where Bellingham is actually getting winter. There's a little bit snowed last there's year. There's some winter yeah. happening. Yeah. And that that was not a trend so much growing up. At least right. I don't remember that. Uh, of where you would have snow or the real cold, icy temperatures. Yes, yes. But that's kind of changed too. You're so right. You're totally now right. Now we're getting, they're getting more of a winter out there, which is an interesting phenomenon. February, happening. especially. Last yeah. three Februarys I've been here, living here yeah. and then visiting, it snowed. Yeah. And my buddy who's lived here forever is like, this is not common. This is definitely not mm-hmm. common. So mm-hmm. I think. I'm getting off track here. I know we're talking. It's funny because we're talking, you're from here. I lived here. I'm living here. But I think is that, you know, where you live is a big, is a big deal. And I think we are starting, hopefully people learning that that's a huge part of your wellness. I don't think a lot of people are talking about it though. No. And I really think, I mean, that's the beauty of the United States is that you can choose where you want to live. That feels good to you. Um, and I think that, that it is a very important part of your wellness. That's why not everybody wants to live in California and not everybody <laughs> wants to live in the Midwest. And, you know, and there's, there's things that, that can be, you know, pros and cons to living everywhere. But I think that genu- genuinely, I mean, like I, I'd said this before, you know, sad is a real de- is a real deal for, you know, I, I have a hard time with cloudy, dark weather constantly. It's yeah, just, yeah. it is a mood breaker for me. It, it's to me, that's like depressing doom and gloom. I used to have that when I was growing up. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't stand the East coast so much mm-hmm. when it would really get dark and stuff. And it's funny now I live out here and you know, the big dark is coming up here. Yes. It's coming. Oh yeah. And it's coming. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I thought maybe I won't like it. I actually like it, but you know, I think that different parts of your life, you like different things. Yeah. I agree. All right. Oh, I totally agree. You're into different mm-hmm. things at different mm-hmm. parts of your life. At least if you feel like you're evolving and you're growing, like you and you listen to kind of the rhythm of where you're at in your life, you're mm-hmm. gonna change. You're gonna like different yeah. things. You're gonna be into different things. You're gonna feel different things with different people. Um, it's like I'm forty one and I was just talking to one of my clients today. We're both the same age. Mm-hmm. And we both said, We just don't feel like what is forty one? What is that? I know. You know what I mean? I'm 43. And I totally am with you. I'm what like, does that when mean? Did this happen? How is this? What is this? But what yeah. does it mean? Like, I don't know what I it know. means to be that age. You know what I mean? Like, I know. I know. What are we supposed to be feeling? You know, like. Yeah. yeah I, I don't really know either. I, it's just, it's an interesting, to be in your 40s is an interesting 
It's just interesting. It's a weird decade know? because it's it kind of like you're transitioning to becoming an older person on some mm-hmm. level, but <laughs> on, on some level. Yeah. You're like, it's like the gateway to becoming like yeah. an older person, you know? Yeah. But I don't, I don't feel that. Like no, I, I feel I very either. young. I don't know. And after everything that's happened, it's the same. I don't feel that way at all. I, you know, I still get after it and work out and hike and I'm active and it doesn't feel like. It, I just don't feel it either. I mean, in considering, you know, coming back from something so devastating. You right. Know, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I know what right. You're saying. I think people today. Yeah. Today, like you're 43. So you're basically, you know, you're in you're in my generation, essentially, yeah. where we I, I was telling my wife this other day. I feel like we're like the generation that really started believing in health and wellness like really like we're like the not the millennials they think they own wellness they don't no um but like we really started taking it to heart like yeah because it really wasn't a thing for our parents completely no you know not at all right we're the bridge no no i mean no No. it was just growing up and you just ate whatever and no nobody gave it a second thought and you know hungry man dinners and and stuff like that yeah you know know? tv dinners tv dinners right right (laughs) yeah and it's like we actually Mm -hmm. started really buying into it and yeah i think a lot of people our age and i have clients who are 52 53 and they do not look like they're that age yeah. I mean, you look back in history when, you know, you ever watch the History Channel and stuff like that. And they yeah. go, oh, this guy oh. was 32 and the guy looks like he was 70. Yeah. Just, that's hard living. The that's hard life. living. Yeah. That's hard, hard living. Uh-huh. I think people aren't living as hard, harshly anymore. Yeah. So they're looking more youthful and vibrant. And it's yeah. what I like to tell people. I'm like, you know, you're looking for this great advancement in technology for your health and wellness. It's already there. Yeah, I mean, sure it's, it's literally already in your face. You just have to be willing to do the work. Right. Yep. It's there's no magic. There's no magic pill for it. It's really it, it boils down to, you know, healthy eating, exercise, balanced lifestyle, stress management and being being in touch with your feelings and emotions. I mean, all of that. Yes. Yes. You know what the find the stress management part to me, again, is it's maybe even bigger than all the other stuff. Yeah, uh, it may be that's bigger. What I'm, that's what I'm, I'm starting to realize, you know, I, it's, yeah, it, it really, this, like I said, Yambere has been quite a powerful experience. And what I was going to share with you is how things got so much worse and, and, and kind of how I realized from that experience, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go into the story here, but, um, so, um, I, I kind of, we kind of stopped and, and talked about a lot of different stuff. And so I was at, at the point in the story where I'd said things had gotten a lot worse before they got better. And, um, what got worse was, is that I, there was, there was a tough decision. I was intubated for several days and there was a tough decision as to, you know, they didn't, they don't, when you get intubated, it's not healthy to be, keep you intubated for a long period of time because it can do some damage. There's, there's several different reasons. They were worried that I'd be relied, reliant upon it. And so, so the decision was made to, um, on ex or extubate me rather. Uh-huh. <laughs> and from that point on, my body was so weak uh, that my airways collapsed. Jeez. So that 
is, and to a surprise to everyone, of course, because they weren't expecting that to happen. So it was actually, I think what, what caused it was, is my larynx spasmed and everything just shut off. So no air getting in. And then that was the fight. That's when the doctor called the code, charge nurse, Oh wow! attending nurse, bag me. They're trying to shove a tube down my throat. That's not going. They're bagging. There's a woman there that's timing all of this. There is, I mean, there's multiple things going on from what I was told. Like you're almost dead. Uh, yeah. And my dad was in the room when this happened. Oh my gosh. So to me, this is probably one of the emotional stories I tell because this is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, to, my dad is in the room. He said that, they, you know, he was in there when they took the tube out and he said he knew that something was terribly wrong because of the look on my face was one of sheer death. And he said, and then the doctor realized, oh, my God, something's wrong. And and so at that point, that's when they kicked him out. And he basically, you know, just breaks down into tears. And there he was thinking, like, this is it. This is it. This is the last time I'm going to see my child alive. And um, so he went out and wait, waited in the, in the waiting room. And at that time, my be- he called my best friend in tears. My best friend sends her mom over because her mom was down the street from the hospital. And her mom shows up to comfort my dad. And all, all that they, they're doing is just waiting because they don't know what's happening. They don't know what's happening in the room, right? So, so I guess, I don't know, it'd maybe been about 30 minutes. They worked on me to get me stabilized. And my dad says, you know, they came out and explained what had happened, that the airways had collapsed and, and that he, he should be very, you know, rest assured knowing that I don't have any brain damage. Right. So that was, whew, you know, when you, when you look at that and, and you go, gosh, you know, so close, right? So close to death, you, you really question your own mortality um, and you really start to question when you go through this experience. I mean, the, the hospital stay was the hard, was really, really hard and really, really tough. But then once you get out of the hospital, then there's all the healing and that tough part, you know? And so you take, I took the time anyways to really question how I'd been living my life what I can do better and what I, where I'd been missing the boat. And what and, did you come to? What was the conclusion you came to? Um, the, one of the biggest things I came to was not, not being great at managing my stress, managing my anxiety or managing my emotions. So what was giving you all of those feelings? I mean, what was, what, how were you living? So, um, I had had a lot of tough stuff happen. And I think, you know, I could step it back to childhood and, and struggling with anxiety and, and not really understanding myself very well and not taking the time to really take a step back and relax. And, um, and then, you know, as you get older, then life starts happening. I, I lost uh, my mother to cancer a few years before, and that was a completely life-changing and devastating experience and every everything from you know you're you're managing health caregivers you're you're 
you're watching the demise of the process of death of somebody that's the most important person in your life. And that really was so devastating to me and I didn't know how to handle it. Um, you know, and coupled with other life things like a, like a really tough breakup and, um, you know, change of career and moving and, you know, talk about the bomb going off. You know, it's, I look at everything that led up to this moment and, and it's not really all that surprising that somehow I, I managed to implode on myself. Right. Um, and, and I, I, I just was, I'm like, you know, looking for meaning in all of this and, you know, I don't know if there's a genetic component compiled with, you know, I had a really strange virus or whatever it is, but I really think that stress was a huge part of all of this. Right. When you look at the sequence of how, how the things that had happened in my life and how I, I managed them so poorly and I managed my emotions, managed my feelings, you know, I buried, buried it all away and got to a point where you just, you, you bury it in so deeply that it has to come out somehow. You were like a bomb. You were like a yeah. ticking time bomb. Yeah. And what was interesting is when I was in the hospital and I'm going through this, these things and, you know, I was, I was put in a, a drug induced coma for 10 days after all that had happened. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, going on here at, at this point, you know, my, my friends and family are devastated. My, my best friend has taken control of all of my phone and my social media. She's communicating, kind of giving these updates and people are like, what is going on? What is happening? You know, this, it's crazy. What, what is this? You know? And, um, and, you know, I'm sitting there and I, I, I come to, and there's times where I'm out of consciousness and in consciousness. I was on a lot of medication and a lot this of is during management. the drug induced coma you're talking about. Well, the drug induced coma, I was out and out. Well, you, you, um, okay. I, I got to talk to you about this, but go yeah. ahead. I got something I have to ask you. Yes. Yes. And so, but when I, when I was able to come to, and I would say there were times before that I was placed in the coma too, where I had this, this like kind of a, you know, again, you, you're forced to surrender, right? You, you're, you're only living in this moment because that's all you have. And, yeah. you know, when we speak about uh, mindfulness and um, I had a great conversation with Michael Brummage the other day, um, a physician from the University of West Virginia who, who is really big into mindfulness. And, and, awesome. and it, it talks about, he, we talked about like being in this present moment. Well, that forced me to be in that moment Nothing in the past mattered. Nothing in the future mattered. So what was I going to do in the moment to essentially self-soothe? So, what, well, what I did was, you know, positive self-talk. Like, I'm going to get through this. I'd repeat this mantra of, I'm going to get on the other side of this. I would, I would um, visualize myself being healthy. Uh, I, would, I would try to breathe as much as possible, even though, you know, after the surgery, uh, or I should say not the surgery after I, you know, went into respiratory failure, they, they immediately shot me over to, to get a tracheostomy, which I now have a scar on my neck. Um, and then I was hooked to a ventilator. So, so you're, you're, you know, you're breathing through a machine, you've got tubes coming out of you everywhere, monitors on you at a feeding tube. I had, you know, all these IVs and you're forced to really just be in this moment, like, Oh, Okay. So I'm not going anywhere. I can't shove it away. Yeah. I can't, I have to, so what is it that I can do? So, you know, as I'm coming to, and I'm, I'm coming to grips with what is going on, what is happening. 
and I, I mentioned this, that I made the decision to approach this from a positive instead of a negative. Like I'm a firm believer that we are placed on this earth to learn specific lessons. And this happens to be my lesson. And I could either, you know, I could either give up and be super negative and angry about it, or I can rally, learn to choose some tools to live a better life so that I can help others right. live their best life. And I chose that path. So, you know, as I'm, as I'm coming back, back to life and you know, all this, and I, I was able to, to ask for my earphones, which the, I could connect to my phone and I'd listen to meditation music. Mm-hmm. And it would, it would really bring me this sense of peace in that moment. So from that point on, it just, it clicked with me. It was like mindfulness, meditation. To this day, I, I, I basically decided it's like meditation. I'm going to start meditating and start understanding what mindfulness means, start being in touch with my emotions and with my feelings. I'm going to dial back all the things that I've been taught, the push, the, you have to make this money, the, all of the things you have to keep going. You're not doing enough. And I had to just let it all go because there was my health at stake. I'm, I'm alive and I'm here and I'm still here and I have got a lot of healing and recovery to do, but to go back and manage myself the way I was managing it before Guillain-Barre wasn't going to work anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So and that was a big moment for me that, that moment of, okay, well, I got to make some changes. Yeah, of course. Of course. So you're listening to meditation. Mm-hmm. They put you back into a drug induced, they put you into a drug induced coma after that, or is that no, before that, that so time? So the, the meditation music came after I was out of the coma. So I that wanted was, to know mm-hmm. what, I mean, that's 10 days, like you're yes. out. All right? Yes. I'm just like, very few people were like, Hey, I don't know what happened for 10 days. Yeah. What did you think the moment you came out of that? I mean, what was that like? Well, so here's, I will say this is that I don't, obviously remember all of the technical things that were happening, but a couple of things happened during that time is that for whatever reason it was, I, I felt like I was, I, this may sound strange, uh, but being talking to my higher self. So like, you know, you have the body, Mm -hmm. you got the soul. um, And, and it was like this, it was like my higher self was giving my body self a, a pep talk. And, and, and it was also telling me that this, this is not your time. You, you, you're going to get through this. And so it sounds crazy, uh, but that is what was happening or that's what I perceived in what was going on as I'm out. So it, it felt like you're, it felt like I was in a dream maybe, but yeah. it was so strong that I knew that it was more than that. Interesting. There was more than that. And Um, and I also knew exactly who was in, in the room with me. Really? Even while you were out? Yep. Wow. I knew who was there when they told me, they said, well, we don't think you remember this. And I'm like, yep. I remember them being there. Wow. I I knew everybody who was around. I sensed them. I knew that there was tons of prayer and love being thrown my way. And that, so that's, I don't know what other people's experiences with being in, in that kind of in a coma or some sort of yeah. out of, but that was the one thing is, is, you know, I, I had some people ask me, you know, do you think your loved ones? And I'm like, yes, they absolutely know you're there. In my experience, I knew who was there. I yeah. knew who came to visit. I it just, it's a weird thing to kind of know, but you just know. 
So it was like a, it was like this state of being that was a, a higher version. Yes. Higher, like yep. uh, maybe describe like a little a higher... bit more. Like I, I think this is good con. This is good stuff. Like this is stuff like most people don't know this. I'm telling you. Yeah. Like explain a little bit more. It's like a higher version of yourself. It's you know if 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 I were to have questioned that we are souls having a human experience, I do not question that now. Mm. Mm. We are souls that are having the human experience. Infinite beings who are living a finite experience, like human life. You felt that in that experience. And once you kind of understand that and and it's almost now too it you know with stress and things you get thrown at at you you're kind of laugh because you almost look at your life as like a story that's happening and you realize that you know there's this physical self that you're dealing with you're dealing with your body you're dealing with pain in your body you're dealing with work stress you're dealing with your ego you're dealing with your feelings and then there's your higher self that soul piece that deeper place that intuitive space of knowing and I was able to connect with that space when I was in and out of consciousness, when it was, it was just a sense of like, you know, in whatever that was, it was, it was like God communicating with my higher self, which then communicated to me. I'm, I'm not sure how it all works, but, um, but I am for darn sure that we, there's so much that we, that we are not willing to admit to ourselves. And, and, you know, as, I've gotten into reading more about consciousness and how the brain works and how intuition works and how, you know, this, this deeper level that I think we're going to move more into as we move along here in history. Oh man, you're going to, you're going to love my future podcast. I'm trying to get a whole bunch of people on about consciousness and stuff. It's what do you say to people though, that say, they might say, man, this is a great story. It's such a great comeback, but maybe Mm -hmm. that feeling or that during that time was just physical manifestations of different systems in your body not working properly. What would you say to somebody who said that to you? Hmm. Well, um, that's, and that's a very valid way to look at it. I don't think it's the truth, honestly, but I think other people would be skeptical. There are people who would say that thing though. Yeah, I don't. And there's a deep knowing that I think we all have within ourselves. Either you're more in tune with it or you're not. I know. Yes. It's that voice that tells you to not go in that direction that day. It's that voice that tells you something's not right about this person. It's that voice, that, that gut feeling that you have when you meet somebody that and your stomach kind of goes off, like there's just something that is intuition. That is a, our higher selves trying to tell us things uh, I'm and give it. us messages. I think that people sometimes, especially the scientific community, they, they mm-hmm. want to explain everything in a very concrete terms mm-hmm. and almost this weird sense of like, I could explain everything through science. Mm-hmm. And through that, there is no mystical or higher element of things. And um, I've always been at odds with that because I think, you know, let's say somebody's trying to tell you that these are just, you know, synapses that aren't firing correctly in your brain. And that's why you experience this. I'd yeah. like to see them go through that and see yeah. if they felt that that was what was happening, even though they, they think they know. 
I think it's very difficult and dangerous to make judgments like that, to base everything on these concrete things when someone has such a powerful experience and they truly believe it. You know, don't yeah. try to shoot it down because it's because it makes what it does is my opinion is it makes those people uncomfortable. Right. Because right. the fact that there may be something much greater than themselves that they can't explain. There's many things in this mm -hmm. world we cannot explain. For sure. I don't know why people try to explain everything away. Sometimes you just got to let it be. It's yep, just going to be do. what it's going to be. It's, it's mysterious. You know, you know? It's interesting that you say that too. It's, it's, you know, I was searching right after I, I was released to, to be able to go home, I was in the ICU and then I was transferred to occupational therapy where they taught me how to basically do it all again. Right. And then I was finally well enough to go home. And I remember I was searching like online. I'm like, gosh, you know, there has to be something where there's people who've had these experiences. And I had a friend who actually sent me an interview. It's a gentleman by the name of Eben Alexander, who's a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. who never believed in the afterlife, never had any foundation of, he just was a firm believer that it never existed, came from heavy research science. Well, right. he got a very rare illness, which, which ultimately left him brain dead. Wow. And they said there's like a, like less than 1% chance this guy's ever coming back. And he talks about an experience that he had with, with his higher self and an understanding of the world that moves so much beyond what we know or what we think we know. And he came out of it completely changed and that his whole message is just like, we have nothing to fear. We will all be taken care of. I right. mean, and it's so powerful, the message that he was, and that kind of made me go, geez, okay. So I'm not totally, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a knowing it's this, again, some, some of us are paying attention to it. Others are, are not. Or you ever had that moment where you're like, you know, I knew I shouldn't have done that. And I did it right. anyways. Right. And then it ended up coming back to bite me. Well, what was it that told you that you, you knew you shouldn't do that? They're really right. like simple things. When you really start to become in tune with and pay attention, you, you get these little messages. Like, like I said, something doesn't feel right here. Um, I yeah. feel like I should take the next train and not this one. Maybe I should, you know maybe I shouldn't go, or this person doesn't feel right to me. There's always a reason for that. You got to listen to that instinct. You got to listen. And I think to people, it's just, you can't prove everything to be such a concrete thing. There's just too much in life that is so, so mysterious. Mm -hmm. And to try to like, you know, science or math, make it a math equation that all oh, this happened to this and physiologically, sometimes there's just things that defy how you feel yeah. about things and you know it's i just think it's your experience is powerful and it's powerful yeah. to you and it's powerful to other people but should not try to always be explained away that that well you know what that deep experience you had your brain was just shutting down and stuff you know you know sorry you know type yeah. of thing like let it be man just let it be what it's going to be i like science i'm not bashing it i think no a of lot. course you can, not you i come can... from a research background yeah. for crying out loud so i'm constantly checking myself and is this research based yeah is it science based i like Especially, science. you know exercise yeah i'm always reading and like no i don't know there's not been enough research on this but there's then there's this other side where you're like yeah but i kind of just have this feeling like like we're really onto something with this whole mindfulness of course and we meditation are and what you know shouldn't we be teaching our young children of how to manage their emotions in a way that's mm -hmm. so that they can they can 
live this experience that we all have to live. Which and, is in a very finite position as, yeah. as infinite beings. And I tell you, I, my last pod, the one I put out, I put out the podcast on Monday and Thursdays now. Mm-hmm. And the last one I did was, you know, um, Wendy Lubel wanted to interview me about mm-hmm. my psychedelic experience, you know, doing Ooh, psilocybin. Yeah, I saw that. And I'm I was excited to listen. Man, you got to listen to it. Yeah, it's very personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I have always had a spiritual aspect to me. I, I've, I've been a Christian since I can remember. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. always been a, a, a very large part of my life. But mm-hmm. I also spent the time seeking further kind yes. of divinity. On the same on way, the, yes. the, You know what I mean? Yep, like on, I do. Like mm-hmm. just in and psychedelics, honestly, it, it helped explode that for me. Yeah. It really, that whole state of being you talked about, mm-hmm. I identify with that. Because mm-hmm. in the podcast, I talk about when I lost my body, when I yeah. did psilocybin and I became just my, my soul, my, my, my ego was gone. And yeah. I just existed as my higher self. Uh, you know, if you would have said, Darian's going to be talking about his higher self and his losing ego and he would have done mushrooms. Like if you said that 10 years ago, I've been like, there's no way I would ever do that. <laughs> right. Like there's literally 0% right. chance, just yeah. like... Now I have a lot of hair. I have a big blonde streak going through my hair. And if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I'd be like, uh-huh. no way. That just no- never would have. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know? Yeah. And for me, the exploration of my infinite self is yeah. something that I'm constantly aware of. And, yes. that, and once that experience, especially of ingesting psilocybin, completely changed mm-hmm. my entire outlook on networking wow. and kindness and caring, just mm-hmm. like you were in that version mm-hmm. of yourself in there. I believe it. I don't need mm-hmm. some scientific study to tell me whether you were right or wrong. It's just what you felt during that yeah, time. Yeah, it's my experience. It's what I felt. And, um, and again, knowing that I, I am supposed to still be here for a very important reason. I'm That's trying right. to figure that all out right now. Uh, you know, it's on the, the path to discovery, I guess. Uh, uh, but and, you know, and I'll tell you something else is the power of prayer. I mean, oh, yeah. that also, holy cow. I mean, I had people in my hospital room and I felt it. I felt the love. I knew it was there. It was also an important reason. It sounds so cheesy, <laughs> but is to, to come back is it's for love. I mean, like love was a big part of what brought me back. It's like, what do we you, you fast forward the clock, the clock, say, you know, you're on your deathbed. What is it that you, you're going to remember the most? So true. The love from your family and friends, how you made an impact on others, um, how you helped people. What are the valuable lessons that you learned? How did you ascend spiritually from birth to, I mean, these are the things I'd question. Anyways. Well, who gives a shit about um, like your job yeah. and stuff when somebody's yeah. lying on a bed dying and stuff like that's why, you know, you have to be careful about what you what you put yourself into, what you spend your time obsessing about. Yeah. Because in the end, it ain't going to matter most of it. You know, like it's just yep. you got to spend people matter. And yeah. there's all these infinite human beings, these souls living this life. And they're thinking that I'm living this human experience with some of these infinite things happening around me. And I'm like, nope. It's the opposite, mm-hmm. man. Like mm-hmm. you are. I've had some crazy experiences in life, man, just with the higher versions of myself and, and yeah. the disintegration of my physical being. Mm-hmm. And man, I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's crazy when you take the veil down 
And I it know there's crazy. a lot of people who are going to listen. They're going to be like, Darian's losing it. This dude's losing it. He's no, like, but it, it's so... I'm telling you, man. Well, and I will tell you, <laughs> as somebody who has lost everything, we're talking every... My entire health went in a matter of days, yeah. a couple of days. And that's when you really start to realize what's really important. Yeah. All this trivial stuff. We all have triggers. Triggers. I still work through anxiety. I'm constantly monitoring anxiety over trivial things, even yeah. to this day. But it's like at the end of the day, you know, you're never you're not going to think back to that one guy that pissed you off on the highway, <laughs> no. or that idiot that fired you. Who gives a you know what? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you're going to be thinking about you know the love and the family and all the things that are that are deeply important, the profound things that happen. Yeah. In your life. Who do you love? Who loves you? Yeah. How, how do yeah. you treat people? And I think the enlightenment, the more enlightened version of yourself and as a human being, you know, live in this concrete society is can you can you master or get on the way to that while you're living? Right. While you're alive. Are you aware enough to say, hey, I'm going to make this the focus of my being, you know, yeah. and I and really think it's in many ways, a staging ground of how do you, what are you learning? And can you merge your infinite self with your finite self and yeah. that journey to create this really masterful piece of work that is giving, caring, kind, generous, loving. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Love is it, man. It's, you know, it does sound funny. It's like, Oh, okay. Just yeah, talk about it love just feels so like hippie and la, la, let's but love no, each no. other and stuff. But yeah, it's kind of true. I mean, it's, but you know. it's just if we had more kindness in the world, I mean, it's if I've actually, you know, if you've ever been somewhere and it's somebody makes your day and then you spread that love around or somebody yeah. says something kind to you. And it's the same thing with when somebody pisses you off, you carry around that terrible energy with you. You do. And you you're do. like, and then it just, it's like a snowball effect of shit. It you is. Know, it's like what, when you finally realize and go, wait a minute, I don't want to be the snowball effect of shit. I want to be, <laughs> you know, I want to actually, you know, promote kindness and yep. gratitude and that's the other part of this gratitude oh yes. boy gratitude oh. the i've learned so much more about being grateful for everything the plant in my house that i can see yep. that i can breathe that i can walk that you know when you, you have those days when you're like how am i going to make this work what am i going to do how is yeah. this you know you think about all the stressor like life stressor things like money Money's a big one. Finances. Yeah, of course. All those things. And then if you take a step back and you look around and you're like, but I'm not in pain right now. And I can see the clouds above my head and I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. So, hey, that's a great start. I mean. It's an awesome start. You know, the first thing I do every, every time I wake up, my, my wife can confirm this. And I do always go, I made it again. I made it mm -hmm. back again. Mm -hmm. I woke up like I get another shot at this and, yeah. and then I pray about it in the morning times, so my prayer time. Yeah. And, I'm, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to connect to the more mm -hmm. infinite version of myself and to the, the deeper meanings of life. And my podcast has been a great outlet for me for that because I get to constantly speak to wonderful people like yourself and we get to share these incredible stories and, and we get to create meaningfulness amongst each other. Right. That's incredible. And yeah. for me, that fulfills my continued journey towards 
elevating myself, not above other people, to, to elevate how I see things and how I can help other people Yeah, through that. It's very true. And it's a, it's been, it's a slow process. You know, I, it's in the GBS community. It's, it's also, they affectionately say getting better slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you work really hard or at least because I know there's so many amazing people um, in that community who, and their stories are so just gut wrenching and you hear these stories yeah. and it's like, Oh my God. Um, so you spend, you spend all this time working on the physical aspect, right? And then you're also dealing with, of course, there's, you know, for me, there was some PTSD around, you know, you, you well, I mean, for obvious reasons, uh, yeah. trauma. I would trauma. think so. I mean, yeah. So, you know, dealing with yourself and, you know, d- dealing with myself when I got, I got my first upper respiratory infection after Guillain-Barre oh last gosh. winter. And I thought, oh my God, what I had to deal with this fear and, and I'm yeah. living by myself at the and I'm, and I'm, you know, letting everybody know, like, you know, in your mind, it's easy to go to those places of, am I going to end up back in the ER, essentially? Wow. And of course, I wasn't, and I didn't, um, you know, and I have, you know, some residual, like a lot of us do, where you, yeah. you just more fatigue and aches and pains and, um, and every, but everybody's experience is different. And um, it just, so you go through the physical stuff and then, and you're exhausted, completely exhausted, fatigued, mentally, everything. It's just, everything takes extra effort to do. Getting out of bed takes extra effort. Holding something in your hand, it takes extra effort. Um, you know, every day for months, I'd have my best friend and I would call the witching hour at six o'clock where the nerve stuff would sit in. I would, I'd get really scared and I'd have to go take an Epsom salt bath. Yeah. Every, every day for months. I mean, there's all these things that you learn. Um, and then, and then with that, you know, you have a profound experience with your body then. And that was pretty much, you know, all the healing was all of primarily 2018. I was able to start work again. Um, pretty recently then. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, you know, and, and, but it was good because it, you know, now it, it was the way that it was set up where, you know, I could work and then, take some time off to rest. And so you, you go through that and the, and the bulk of the healing with, with Guillain-Barre is, is, you know, they say the, the heavy healing is that first year, but you continue to heal. I mean, the body continues to heal for years. It's, um, but the bulk of it is, you know, with that. So then after that, then came the emotional and the spiritual and questioning my place in this world and how I want to approach life. And, at, at what pace do I approach life and how can I help other people? And that's, this is where we're, we're at right now. It's like, this is my first speaking out uh, about it. I, I knew I was going to get there and I knew I needed to do it. I just was a matter of gearing up to be ready to share such a personal, personal story. And then you chose, and you chose and I this, chose you. you chose this, huh? Yeah. Wow. What a deal, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope this gets out to a lot of people that will, you know, whether they have experienced what you have or not, it's just, it's just a great story of perseverance, of understanding where you're at in life, working through the person you are to, you know, Mm -hmm. and as you continue to grow. And to me, that's the, that's the goal of what we're trying to do, you know, with this podcast is storytelling. Again, I just, how we started is storytelling is not happening 
but I think there's a real appetite and desire for it. You know, I made a real conscious decision when I started this podcast. This was not going to be another 20, 25 minute podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a ton of those, you know what? And they're great. Yep. I've listened to a bunch of them, mm-hmm. but I just felt like I can't get storytelling out from my guest end or my end in 20 minutes. I just can't. It's, yeah. it's impossible. I mean, we talked about in and out Burger for like 10, five, 10 minutes. <laughs> I know, forever. I mean, you know, right. and I, and that's part, but that's part of the story is the funny, trivial things. Yeah. The serious stuff. That's what a conversation is. Yeah. It's not all serious. It's all funny stuff here. It's kind of whimsical here. It's serious there. It's, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you ever sat with it, me, I've had tons of like 10, 12 hour conversations with friends over some oh, drinks. Yeah. And you know what? And you go with like, you talk about everything. You talk about the cosmos. You talk about babysitting. Yes. You talk about parents. You talk about your job. And I think that's the podcast. It's, it's everything in between. We may have things about health and wellness, but in the end, it's just, it's humans talking to each other yeah. and bringing back humanity. And yes. we have always been storytellers through that. We have passed on history through storytelling and writing. I love storytelling. That is like documentary storytelling, oh. anything, a good story about somebody's life is so, oh, I love it. I, it's one of my favorite things. It's a to huge people's thing. stories. And, right. Mm-hmm. I think people like documentaries. I'm watching one right now. It's about like those uh, competitive food eating guys, you know, the Coney mm-hmm. Island stuff. It's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> like their background or how they grew up and how they, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just great. And so I think you have certainly done a great service. You withstood a gigantic barrage of illness that um, I'm not sure how many people would ever get through that. And then describing such an incredible experience. Uh, I know what touched me is especially that I had to get to that coma part. Cause I was like, what happened in there? I got to know what yeah, happened. Some happened. Something happened in there, too. man. It's like, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's my experience. And I, I came out with a, a strong knowing that there's just much, there's so much more than, than we really truly understand with ourself and our soul. And, and, you know, we all have these lessons we're learning and, and there are, you know, it's, it's just, it's just kind of like taking that experience too, and not letting it, not letting it define me and break me. Um, but instead working with it in a way and it's, Hey, don't get me wrong. It's, it was freaking hard. It is, it's it's a hard journey. It is painful. Um, there are so many unknowns to it. Uh, and, and your body does a lot of strange things. You're like, Whoa, why did, okay. You know, I mean, I lost it all. My vision, like, you know, I was cross-eyed. I had no peripheral vision. I couldn't see the floor. I couldn't see at night. I mean, you're talking about everything going, you can't oh, talk, you can't, you know, you're, you're, you don't eat for 21 days and you have oh, to go out these tests so that you can eat again. I mean, it all went. So just the common things like, you know, like, I can go to the bathroom by myself. That's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff that, that I think we don't even think about. We're running on this automatic that we don't yeah. stop to think at how beautiful the simple things are in life. So I guess what you're telling me is there's no In-N-Out Burger for you coming up here. <laughs> no, I, I do not do fast food much anymore. I should say much. Um, and I'm allergic to eggs. So mayonnaise is in every, usually like yeah. there's usually in the sauce and the secret sauce was pretty good. But no, no, my, my In-N-Out Burger days are, I mean, I say that now, but it's. This is I'm, such a 
so it's such a shame. I mean, I I'm just okay. I, well, I I'm just joking. I'm just I joking. have like a pizza addiction. Really, That's my thing. I'm a, like, a, I gotta have pizza once a week. I love pizza. I'm the same pizza. way. I eat pizza once a week for sure. For yes, me. that for is sure. a non-negotiable. Pizza once a week. What type of pizza? It's like oh, the whole. This is you're gonna laugh when I say say this because I do a lot. Of, I eat more plant based now, and I don't eat a lot of uh, like chicken or pork in general. But the pizza is like all all on full like pepperoni <laughs> sausage it's a meat lovers pizza cheese. yeah it's, it's, <laughs> yeah then that's when you know i go for it and then the, the rest of the week it's you know i'm very yeah. you know i do eat fish but i don't i don't eat a lot of chicken or red meat anymore yeah. just yeah just just for yeah, I don't a lot either. of different reasons i don't either yeah. i don't think i have any real good reasons it's just i'm kind of mm-hmm. like eh, i'm just not really thinking about it too much yeah <laughs> Yeah. There's nothing mind blowing for me. It's just like, yeah, yeah I, mean, I just want to do less of that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I totally hear you. you just kind of yeah. you adapt and change too as you get older. You just change. Some things just don't really appeal to you anymore. Or don't, you know, I don't digest certain things well anymore. And yeah. it's just a lot of stuff. So totally see. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Well, mm-hmm. it's, uh, when you talk about knowing, I know that this was very positive and I'm very grateful for you coming on, Carolyn. And- well, thank you, Darian. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that we connected. Um, your connections have also opened up some really beautiful conversations I've had with people around the country already. Awesome. Um, well, so we'll continue to do that. It. We'll yeah. continue. I'll continue to send people your way. And that's just part of growing is continuing to talk to people and just see where it goes from that. That's exactly right. Well, thank you for your time, Carolyn, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. You as well, and take care. All right. Bye. Bye.